0: We may be looking at war in the Middle East, John Kelly's nightmare is coming true, and Elizabeth Warren speaks to a Native American group. And it's pretty funny. I'll tell you all about it, Ben Shapiro Show. So, is speaking in front of a Native American group today, sending some serious smoke signals from her wigwam about her future presidential run. That is not me mocking Native Americans, by the way. That is me mocking Elizabeth Warren's pretensions to be a Native American. She used that nonsense to essentially become a professor at Harvard Law School, apparently. Uh, and now she's trying to use this Native American group as a, as a shield. Uh, in order to shield herself from accusations that she's a liar about that Native American heritage. We'll get to all of those things. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Birch Gold. So, in times of great uncertainty, look at the stock market right now. You see how volatile the stock market is? That's because sometimes the stock market gets volatile. And that's why you should have some of your assets in precious metals. That is what Birch Gold is there for. They have a long-standing track record of continued success, thousands of satisfied clients, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And you can contact Birch Gold Group right now. To request a free information kit on physical precious metals. It's a comprehensive 16-page kit, and it shows you how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA if you choose to do so. Get that no-cost, no-obligation kit right now at birchgold.com. That's birchgold.com. Again, these are the folks that I would trust. There's a reason why so many people trust them with their precious metals investment. Ask all your questions. Make sure that you're comfortable with investing in precious metals. And then when you're ready, Talk to my friends over birchgold.com slash ben. That is birchgold.com slash ben. That slash ben lets them know that we sent you. All righty. So I do want to get to all of the issues in domestic politics. A shocking new poll that shows Republicans now up in the generic ballot, like actually up in the generic ballot, uh, is, is, that's making a lot of headlines. Elizabeth Warren obviously making headlines. But I want to start today with a story that people are overlooking, and that is we may have like a full-scale war in the Middle East. Another one in the very near future. See, when we decided that we were going to get rid of ISIS, that was a very good thing. But there's been nothing to fill the gap. And so what you're ending up with now is essentially six separate countries who are now involving themselves in a Syrian war. So you've got Iran that's involved in Syria. You've got Israel that's in response involved in Syria. You've got the Syrian government involved in Syria. You've got Russia involved in Syria. You've got Turkey involved in Syria. So it's a lot of countries involved in a very small space, all of them fighting for a certain level of supremacy. Of course, the United States is involved there as well. And all of this internecine warfare, it could have serious external effects. So if you missed it, over the last week, there was a major issue in which an Israeli plane was shot down. We talked about this. An Israeli plane was shot down after Israel shot down a drone from Syria. It was an Iranian-made drone. And Israel shot that down. Israel flew an F-16 over Syrian airspace. That was shot down by a a Syrian anti anti-aircraft missile. Uh, and then Israel said, hey, you're going to shoot down our planes? Here's what we're going to do to you. And they le- they legitimately proceeded to destroy half of the Syrian Air Force while it was on the ground. <laughs> because don't screw with the Israeli military, I think is the is the main message there. Uh, they went in in an, in an air raid and they destroyed half the Syrian Air Force on the ground. One of the things this makes clear, by the way, is just how much of a lie it was when Barack Obama said there was nothing we could do in Syria to stop, for example, the, the gassing of... of citizens of that country. Israel, in legitimately an hour, destroyed half the Syrian air force, half of it. Okay, if the United States had wanted to, under President Obama, after the original Bashar Assad chemical attack, we could have grounded his entire air force nearly immediately. But that's not the extent of the conflict. At that point, the Syrians basically backed off of Israel and said, okay, we're not interested in doing this right now. But that's really a proxy war, Syria, between Israel and Iran, because Iran is funneling supplies to Hezbollah, a terrorist group in Lebanon, through Syria, and they are moving all of those supplies directly through areas that Israel has been hitting. Meanwhile, there's the Syrian proxy war heating up between the United States and Russia. So on Tuesday, Bloomberg News reported that U.S. and Kurdish forces in Syria had killed 200 fighters, including a bunch of Russians. So Russian ha- Russia has a bunch of contract mercenary soldiers on the ground over there, and the Russians were fighting on the side of the embattled leader, Bashar al-Assad. They attacked a military base in the dair ez zor region of Syria on February 7th. Now, There is no congressional authorization for American forces to be in Syria. This is why we actually need, as Rand Paul says, we need congressional authorization. If we're going to be there, then we ought to have Congress authorize it. The American people ought to be clear about what exactly our goals are there. Is it to solidify? Is it to preserve the status quo? Why exactly we're there? Why are men and women in harm's way? Why are we spending our cash there? (coughs) The Russians, however, actually attacked a U.S.-run base, essentially. There's a U.S. force stationed with Syrian Democratic force troops on a base, and, th- and those troops responded with artillery fire and airstrikes, and 200 to 300 Russians were apparently killed in that assault. Uh, many of them were taken back to Moscow and treated. Now, the Russians are denying that Russian forces were involved in the attack, which at least is, for the moment, is a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Because if the Russians were interested in some sort of open conflict in Syria, they would be claiming that America had attacked Russian soldiers. But they want to pretend they're not there in the first place. So this remains sort of a covert fight. However, Major Adrian Rankin-Galloway is a spokesperson for the U.S. Department of Defense. He said officials believed roughly 100 people were killed in the raid, though he said he couldn't speculate about their nationality. Bloomberg reported the number dead was closer to 200. The New York Times said dozens of Russians were believed to be killed. CIA Director Mike Pompeo, this is according to Vox.com, also refused to confirm specifics when asked whether the U.S. was responsible for killing Russian contract soldiers in Syria during a hearing on Tuesday. He said, we have seen in multiple instances foreign forces using mercenaries in battles that will begin to approach the United States. So, again, in the last week, we've seen Israel take out half of the Syrian Air Force, and we've seen the United States kill something like 100 Russian fighters, apparently. So, all of this is, is heating up in rather rapid fashion, and meanwhile, on the domestic political scene in Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu may be in some trouble. The Prime Minister of Israel has now been indicted on a couple of chaun- uh, on a couple of counts of bribery. Uh, one of those counts essentially suggests that he was accepting gifts from wealthy benefactors in return for in return for advancing their interests. Uh, there's another case that suggests that he was trying to strike a deal that would have given him positive coverage in Yedioth Ahronoth, which is one of the major newspapers in Israel, in exchange for hurting Israel Hayom, which is the free rival. To uh, That one I find a little more suspicious since the fact is that Israel Hayom is uh, is very pro-Netanyahu in the first place and it is funded by Sheldon Adelson who is an ally of, of BB's politically. Uh, according to the police in Case 1000, Netanyahu receives champagne, cigars, jewelry and clothing by demand and, systema- and systematically valued at about a million shekels which is about 280 grand in American dollars. The gifts he received from the Israeli-American Hollywood producer Arnon Milchan increased significantly once Netanyahu was elected prime minister. So, There is a case to be made against him in the media case. One of the problems in that case is that one of the people testifying against him is a political rival uh, uh, who is a former news guy, Yair Lapid. He is now in the opposition. He was Netanyahu's finance minister in the past, and he has been testifying against Netanyahu. Bottom line is that in order for Netanyahu to step down, he's probably going to have to be convicted. Unclear whether he actually would be convicted In these cases. And right now with Israel under fire, uh, it's pretty unlikely that Netanyahu is going to step down in the middle of all this. So what we're seeing right now, in other words, is chaos across the region. And the Saudis, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, the Israelis are all working hand in hand in order to try and stop the impact of Iranian influence in the region. Meanwhile, Turkey is trying to flex its muscles in places like Syria as well as Kurdistan. Uh, It is is shocking uh, how the West has abdicated its responsibility. And Part of that, a huge percentage of that, most of that is on the Obama administration, which went out of its way to embolden Iran, which went out of its way not to do anything with Bashar Assad, which went out of its way to let ISIS run roughshod throughout the Middle East, uh, at least until its latter days. The Trump administration has said a lot of the right things on the Middle East, but they're not actually doing a lot on the Middle East. So whenever there's a, a, an uprising in Iran, for example, we say a lot of stuff, but it's not clear that we're actually doing much of anything. Uh, in Syria right now, we're doing a few things, but not enough that we're actually seriously involved and too much to say that we're not involved at all. At a certain point, we're going to have to take a harder position on what exactly we want to see happen in Syria, because otherwise the chances of escalation here are increasingly uh, increasingly likely. It's increasingly likely that this will end up spiraling out of control. Israel will hit the Syrians. The Syrians will hit Israel. Iran will be drawn in. Israel will go to war with Iran. A regional war like that would look a lot like World War III, because Russia then might be drawn in on one side with the United States, On the other, all of that would be due to the abomination of foreign policy that was the Obama administration. But if the United States doesn't take some pretty clear active measures right now, then this thing could escalate out of control pretty quickly, and we would be dragged into a situation that we really do not want to be involved in in the first place. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about domestic politics in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Skillshare. So Skillshare is the best way for you to increase your resume, to make your resume that much better right? It's, it's a new year. You want to make sure that you are able to move up in the world. Well, the best way to do that is by increasing your skill set. And that's what Skillshare is for, right? Skillshare is an online learning platform, over 18,000 classes in design, business, technology, and more. You can take classes in graphic design, social media marketing, illustration, mobile photography, you name it, they've got it. So whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side business or explore a new passion, Skillshare is there for you. I've been taking the social media marketing classes. Um, I know folks in the, in the, in this office have taken graphic design classes. I took a watercolors class, which relaxes me in the evening time. Skillshare just has a ton of these courses that are available for you. So you're a lifelong learner. That's why you listen to this show. Skillshare makes that easy and they make it affordable as well. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today, We have a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. Skillshare is offering my listeners two months of unlimited access to 18,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Shapiro. Again, Skillshare.com slash Shapiro. Use that slash Shapiro so that you get that deal. Right, again, you'll get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents, which is a fantastic deal. You can see if you like it. Skillshare.com slash Shapiro. Start that two months right now. Skillshare.com slash Shapiro. Let them know that we sent you as well. Okay, meanwhile... On the domestic political scene, uh, Elizabeth Warren apparently is now speaking out about how she is a Native American. So she's speaking to the Native American uh, or Native Indian conference of some such or, or other. I'm, I'm not sure what exactly. It was the National Congress of American Indians. That's what it was. She made a surprise appearance at the National Congress of American Indians, um, and, and apparently uh, she was just she was incredibly great. I mean, she she was she was just. Full-on regalia. She showed up with the headdress. She showed up with the the smoke and peace pipe. The whole deal. And again, whenever I I say things like this, it's not because I'm mocking Native American culture. It's because I'm mocking Elizabeth Warren for appropriating Native American heritage. Okay, so here's what she said to the Native American conference. Quote, by all accounts, my mother was a beauty. I I know Elizabeth Warren, by the way, and uh, she is one of the more obnoxious humans on planet Earth. By all accounts, my mother was a beauty. She was born in eastern Oklahoma on this exact day, Valentine's Day, in February 14th, 1912. She grew up in the little town of Wetumpka, the kind of girl who would sit for hours by herself playing the piano and singing. My daddy fell head over heels in love with her, but my mother's family was part Native American, and my daddy's parents were bitterly opposed to their relationship. So in 1932, when my mother was 19 and daddy had just turned 20, they eloped. Okay, so she doesn't provide any evidence, by the way, that she is of Native American heritage at all, like none, like zero evidence. And then she says, this is my favorite line. I get why some people think there's hay to be made here. You won't find my family members on any rolls, and I'm not enrolled in a tribe. Right? So she's openly admitting that she's not enrolled in a tribe, that you won't be able to find any of her family members on the Native American rolls. Remember, the record-keeping for Native American heritage is extremely good. Right? It is very in-depth, which is why you can have situations where legitimately the government will come and take somebody who's a quarter Native American out of their foster home and bring them back to a reservation because of how good the rolls are. Right? But this is the best part. She says, quote, Our stories are deeply woven into the fabric of who we are. The stories of immigrants and slaves, of explorers and refugees, have shaped and reshaped our country right up to the present day. For far too long, your story has been pushed aside to be trotted out only in cartoons and commercials. So I'm here today to make a promise. Each time someone brings up my family's story, I'm going to use it to lift up the story of your families and your communities. And that last line there, as Alex Griswold says at Free Beacon, that is called using the Native American community as your political human shield. Every time someone calls her Pocahontas, every time President Trump botches it and calls her Pocahontas, every time that happens, she's simply going to shift it and say, Native Americans are so important. Native American heritage is so important. Never mind the fact that we call her Pocahontas because she's been lying about her Native American heritage. I mean, she's as Native American as Sean King is black, apparently. Okay, the idea that, that and Sean King, by the way, his his father was white, his mother was white on the birth certificate. He says that his his mom had an affair. There's no evidence uh, that any of this is true. The same thing is true of uh, of Elizabeth Warren. She suggests that she is Native American. There is no evidence at all that Elizabeth Warren is Native American. How much of a joke is her Native American heritage? It's such a joke that Elizabeth Warren used as evidence of her Native American heritage the fact that she had submitted a recipe to a cookbook called, I kid you not, Pow Wow Chow. That was the name of the cookbook. And the recipe that she actually submitted was a recipe for crab bisque. And okay, which it turns out she, she actually copied from a copy of Good Housekeeping or something. It turns out that crab bisque is not actually a Native American heritage thing because crabs are not wandering across the fruited plains of Oklahoma, which is where she is from. So uh, she, she's a joke. Um, but this is what Democrats are going to do. They're going to do the intersectionality pyramid all the way to the bottom which is just insane. And so they're struggling, right? Democrats are struggling right now. There's a poll out right now, a shocking poll from the political morning consult survey, right? This is not a survey that is biased toward Republicans. And Republican, it shows generic polls right now among registered voters. 39% said they would back the GOP candidate in their district. 38% they said they would support a Democrat. 23% are undecided. So Democrats still have a pretty solid advantage across a variety of polls, according to CNBC. An average of recent generic ballots shows Democrats with about a seven-point lead, according to Real Clear Politics. But that was thirteen points at the end of last year, so they've fallen at least six points. And there are a couple of outlier polls now that show that the Republicans are actually in the lead or even. And so that is a that is a big piece of news. Also, the political consult poll, morning consult poll, it shows a forty-seven percent approval rating for President Trump. That's about as good as it's going to get for Trump. Trump's never going to break fifty. But 47% is a very solid approval rating for President Trump. So despite the attempts to beat him down over the Rob Porter situation or the bleephole countries remark, it's as I said, everything is baked into the cake except the evidence of how the economy is doing. That is not baked into the cake. All of the character stuff is baked into the cake with Trump. So, for example, there's a story out today that Michael Cohen, who is Trump's lawyer, did in fact pay Stormy Daniels, a porn star, $130,000 out of his own pocket, supposedly out of the goodness of his heart. That Cohen says, quote, Neither the Trump organization nor the Trump campaign was a party to the transaction with Miss Clifford, that's, uh, that's Stormy Daniels, and neither reimbursed me for my payment, either directly or indirectly. He said the payment to Miss Clifford was lawful and was not a campaign contribution or a campaign expenditure by anyone. He was asked, by the way, why it was that he had actually just signed a six-figure check to a porn star with whom he had not had personal relations, and he refused to answer those questions. It was just out of charity. He just likes porn stars that much and feels that bad for him. He signs random checks days before the election in the amount of $130,000. Of course, that's a joke. Of course, it's ridiculous. Cohen is saying this in response to a complaint one group filed with the FEC regarding the payment. Right? He has not confirmed or denied anything with regard to the payment itself. But is this hurting Trump anyway? No, of course. The Stormy Daniels stuff happened two weeks ago and no one cared. Everybody immediately brushed off the fact that the president of the United States, when he was married and his wife had just given birth, was having an affair with a porn star and then dropped 130 grand on her days before the election to keep it quiet. Or at least his lawyer did. Out of the goodness of his heart. Man, I gotta get me one of those lawyers. I gotta get me one of the lawyers who actually signs my my gas bill. the, The lawyer who just says, I love my client so much that out of the goodness of my own heart, I just pay people off. So that doesn't have any impact on Trump. And so Democrats are struggling because the character attacks aren't doing a lot of good for them. They're gonna continue to leverage them, of course, but they're so ensconced in the identity politics of what they do, that they're having some serious trouble translating that into political victory. And so they have to sort of tell fibs. Now, their best angle of attack here would be that President Trump doesn't care about you. Right? President Trump, this is always the gap for Republicans, it's a gap for President Trump, that President Trump doesn't care about people like you, he's not really trying to help people like you, he's just trying to help his corporate buddies. Right? You do the Bernie Sanders routine. It is shocking to hear that these words are gonna come out of my mouth that Bernie Sanders has the best angle of attack on President Trump. Okay, not Kamala Harris, not Cory Booker, not all the people who insist on being offended. Being offended by Trump plays into his shtick. If you are offended by Trump, Trump has won. if you say that Trump doesn't care about people like you, that is always the most fruitful line of attack against Republicans. But Democrats don't seem to care about that, and so they're, they're continuing on with this intersectional nonsense. So for example, Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey, he's going on and on about how Trump doesn't care about immigrants, And we shouldn't use the term chain migration. Again, this is intersectional nonsense.
1: Now, I find it obscene the phrase chain migration. It is incredibly cruel to those whose ancestors were brought to this country in chains in slavery. It is a dehumanizing element of what is, in essence, family reunification, which has been the core of American immigration principle for over a century. The belief that when we have families together, that ultimately they strengthen not only themselves and help each other, but they help build communities and help build our nation.
0: Okay, so this is absolutely idiotic. Obviously, the term chain migration has nothing to do with slavery. It was coined in the mid 50s, I believe, it's been, or, or since before then, it has nothing to do with slavery whatsoever. The idea is that chain migration, like a daisy chain, like you're bringing people in in a chain, right? Not like you're actually bringing them in in chains. But this is, if Democrats are trying this, of course they're going to fail. It's a giant fail. They're trying also the angle that Trump doesn't get that Trump is is in thrall to Russia. Uh, so there's a congressperson named Swalwell. Uh, And he is a Democrat, and he is claiming that Trump is enthralled to Russia. Good luck with that. We just killed 100 Russians on the battlefield in Syria. I think the simplest uh, answer is the correct one, which is that he likes the Russians. He's told us that throughout the campaign. He's said, wouldn't it be nice if we could be friends with them? And so when we need him for the sake of our democracy to confront them, he's incapable. So leadership starts at the top. Okay, so this, of course, is not true at all. The suggestion that President Trump is enthralled to Russia, the American people are able to discern the fact that Trump refuses to say that Russia interfered in the election because he feels that it is a blot on his victory. They're able to distinguish that from the idea that he is pro-Russia because obviously his policy has been significantly more hawkish on Russia than for example the Obama administration which pledged flexibility to Dmitry Medvedev and Vladimir Putin in 2012 and then gave them exactly that flexibility. Uh, By the way, the idea that that Trump is somehow avoiding sanctions because he loves Russia, that's not even true. It's not even technically true. According to Noah Rothman, who's no ally of the administration, over at Commentary magazine, quote, the Trump administration was required by the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act to give Congress both a classified and unclassified list of Putin allies and oligarchs that could be targeted for potential sanctions. And they did. The law also required the administration to provide a report detailing the impact of sanctions on Russia's sovereign debt. Which they did. The law provided the administration a 120-day grace period for imposition of new sanctions on unspecified targets if the president can claim those targets have already substantially reduced their business activities in the Russian defense and intelligence sectors. The State Department declared the foreign governments have abandoned planned or announced purchases of several billion dollars in Russian defense acquisitions, therefore satisfying that requirement. So the idea that the Obama that the Trump administration rather has been deliberately avoiding imposing sanctions is just not true. But the Democrats continue to trot this stuff out, and this is why they continue to lose. This is why they have a serious problem on their hands. Okay, in just a second, I want to talk about another serious problem Democrats have, and that is full-on disdain for religion. We'll discuss that in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Wink. So, I know that you were getting over the new year. I know that you got all your drinking done in the latter half of the the 2017 December. And now, you've rung yourself out. Well, folks, it's time to relax a little bit. And not only that. There are a lot of big dinner parties coming out. Tonight is Valentine's Day. Right? Tonight is Valentine's Eve. What better than to get a bottle of wine? Well, Wink.com can make it happen for you. Okay, Wink, wine experts select wines, matched to your chase, personalized for you, shipped right to your door, starting at just $13 bucks a bottle. There's nothing like coming home to a box of delicious Wink wine or to the office where all of my employees are drunk on Wink wine on a regular basis. Fill out that Wink palette profile quiz and answer simple questions that your average store clerk wouldn't ask or translate into a recommendation like, how do you take your coffee and do you like blueberries? And then wine, sorry, Wink sends wines curated to your taste. The more wines you rate, the more personalized your monthly selections. And every month there are new delicious wines that are there for the sampling. Shipping is covered. So if you don't like a bottle they send you, they'll replace it with a bottle that you will love. No questions asked. No membership fees. Skip any month. Cancel time. Discover excellent wine today at trywink.com/ben. That's trywinc.com/ben. You get twenty bucks off your first shipment. That's trywinc.com/ben for twenty dollars off. Again, trywink.com/ben. That's trywinc.com/ben. You get twenty dollars off. Folks around the office love the Wink wine. And also, if you don't know anything about wine, you need to bring over a wine for for a friend for a dinner then you can take the Palette Profile quiz on their behalf and get a wine that they will love. So that's pretty awesome. Check that out, trywink.com and get $20 off as well as letting them know that we sent you. Okay, so when I talk about the Democrats uh, being at a complete disconnect with the American people, nowhere is this more obvious than when it comes to disdain for religion. So yesterday on The View, Joy Behar, who is just an insufferable human being, uh, Joy, which again, Joy, have me on, have me on your show. I know that's a hell of a pitch. you insufferable have me on your show. But nonetheless, uh, the view, you know, they, I think they are probably a little afraid to have me on that show, which I would be, too, if I were their producers. Uh, in any case, Joy Behar uh, goes after Mike Pence yesterday in the most disgusting terms about his religious observance. It's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. Exactly. Okay, well, that's different. This if i'm not correct right, i'm no, been... hearing voices okay so just to be straight about how the left views religious people if you say that you heard the voice of god hey what you mean usually okay let me just explain on behalf of religious people everywhere when you say that you got a message from god you don't actually mean that god sent you an email okay like, it's not bruce almighty this is not god picks up the phone and calls you it's not joan of arc you're hearing actual godly voices what you get is a feeling that perhaps you're acting in consonance with your meaning in the universe. Okay, that you're acting in consonance with what God wants of you as you can decipher it in his word. Okay, that's what we mean as religious people. We don't mean that we're sitting around and Jesus starts talking to us. Say, ha, this is Jesus. Okay, you don't, that's not what we mean. Mike Pence, I don't know why he has a southern accent either. But the idea that Mike Pence is sitting around in, in the VP office waiting for Jesus to give him orders is insipid. I will also point out that Joy Behar would be the first person to say that men who say they are women... Are, do not have a mental illness. So if you're a man and you say you're a woman, you're not mentally ill. If you're a woman and you say you're a man, you're not mentally ill. But if you're a religious person and you say that you are trying to believe according to the dictates of Jesus and that you feel that you've gotten messages from Christ in your life, that this means that you're a full-on nutso. It's that sort of disdain for religion that is driving millions of people in the United States away from people like Joy Behar. It's not just Joy Behar. Uh, one of the people who's been most irritating about the Olympics is an ice skater named Adam Rippon. He's gay. Uh, which wouldn't make a difference except he has made this the entirety of his identity. Uh, And when I say I mean like he's made it his entire public persona, not that he's a great ice skater, which apparently he is, but that he is gay and that he hates Mike Pence. So he apparently was ripping on Pence for being at the Olympics in the first place, suggesting that Mike Pence was for gay conversion therapy. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is not true. There is no evidence to support it whatsoever. Doesn't matter. He trotted that out. And then when Pence said, you know what, that's not true about me. I'd love to sit down with you. Ripon said, I'll never meet with you. So obviously a very tolerant dude. Well, yesterday he came out and he says, "Listen, I don't want my Olympic experience to be about Mike Pence. So let's get this straight: you punch Mike Pence in the face rhetorically, and then you run screaming from the room, and then you say you don't want your Olympic spe- experience to be about Mike Pence because you've implied that religious people all over the United States hate gay folks." I mean, here is Adam Ripon doing the same routine. I have no problem talking about you know wh- what I've said uh, because I stand by it, but I think right now the Olympics are about Olympic competition and the athletes involved. And I talked, you know, I talked to you about how I felt before the games. And, you know, it's brought a lot of attention um, to, you know, and questions to my other teammates. And I don't want to distract from their Olympic experience. And I don't want my Olympic experience to be about my pens. Well, it's a little late for that. It's a little late for that. You rip Mike Pence as a religious bigot, and then you come out and you say, well, I don't want my Olympic experience to be like that. Maybe you should have thought about that before you decided to rip Mike Pence as a religious bigot, and by extension, all of the people in America who are evangelical Christians as religious bigots. It's not just that, okay? The the culture wars that the left launched brought them Trump. When I say this is how you got Trump, this is how you got Trump. You got a bunch of people in America who feel like they are constantly being set upon and torn to shreds for simply being religious people or simply being... White, right, in some cases based on the intersectional politics of the left or simply for being in a Midwestern state. There are all these groups that the the left has seen as great oppressors in American life, white folks, males, uh, religious people. And then the left sets upon those people and those people say, well, you know what, I'm going to vote for that guy who at least doesn't crap on me all the time. But this is what the Democratic Party does, this is what people on the left do on a routine basis. You want to reach out to folks, you want to win elections, then maybe you ought to stop trying to alienate them with most with, with incredibly radical language. And maybe you ought to stop with with the fawning media coverage for social issues that are at best deeply controversial. So CNN for example has a piece today about this tragic case where parents want custody of their 17-year-old uh, their 17-year-old girl Okay, listen to how CNN covers this. Here's the story, okay? I'll tell you the story. It's a 17-year-old girl. She thinks she's a boy, right? She's transgender. And so she wants hormone treatment. And she went and she got some doctors who say that she should have hormone treatment. And then she tried to have custody handed over to the grandparents. The parents said, listen, you're gonna be 18. When you're 18, we can't do anything to stop you. But when you're 17, not on our watch. On our watch, you are not going to have surgeries and mutilate your genitals. You're not gonna have surgeries and mutilate your breasts we're not going to allow you to have hormone treatment and mutilate your body. That's not something that we're going to allow you to do because we don't think that that is the best treatment. We don't think that the scientific evidence is there. Okay, the scientific on this stuff, evidence on this, is at best mixed. It is at best mixed. There are studies that suggest that suicidality, the the suicide attempt rate, goes down for people who attempt transgender surgery. There's also some evidence that suggests that after a certain period of time, the suicide rate goes back up. Uh, so the the evidence is is just not it's not perfect in any direction. This is not a cure-all by any stretch of the imagination. But here is how this is going down. CNN writes, quote, an Ohio court will decide the fate of a transgender teen who is in what the judge describes as a gut-wrenching situation. The 17-year-old identifies as a boy. Neither he nor his family can be named according to court instructions. So notice already how CNN starts calling this girl he. This is a biological woman, and CNN is already calling this girl he in order to bias the case. Because if the parents won't acknowledge it, CNN will. The teen's parents want court authority to stop their child from getting the treatment and therapy that was recommended by his medical team in what it characterizes as a possible life or death situation. What makes it a life or death situation? Apparently, the teen is suicidal. And they're suggesting that the cure for the suicidality is hormone treatment and or genital disfigurement. And that is what the, the, this team of medical experts suggest. Well, maybe there's another team of medical experts that suggests differently. And the parents could consult a variety of medical experts. But now, courts in the United States are going to talk about this is going to be the next step. You want to talk about culture wars? This is the culture war. The next step is going to be you have a five-year-old child, and your child says that she is a he, and you say, sweetheart, no, you're not. You're going to outgrow this. You know, we'll go and we'll talk to somebody about this, but you're a girl, and we're going to try and get through this together in the best, most healthy possible way. Courts will be sent in by the left to take your child away from you. This is the next step. It's already happening in Canada under Bill C-16, and this is what they're going to do. According to CNN, the teen was hospitalized in 2016. He had been diagnosed with depression and anxiety disorder and gender dysphoria, according to court records. This is this is the key, by the way. This is the reason why the APA's evidenceless reclassification of gender disorder, gender identity disorder, to gender dysphoria actually matters. So, gender identity disorder suggests that gender ide- that when you are disordered, right, when you're a male who believes that you're a female, that this is a disorder, and associated with that disorder are, are depression and upset, right, and and that. But it is a disorder that must be treated head-on. Gender dysphoria, they say that's perfectly normal. It's perfectly normal if you're a man who believes you're a woman. The only thing that's problematic is if it crosses over with depression. There's no actual delusion. You're actually a man in a woman's body, but it's only a problem if you're depressed. So the idea is if you treat the depression, then you'll be alleviating the gender dysphoria. The evidence for this is nil. It does not exist. The idea that if you alleviate all all of the life forces, that the suicide rate goes down to normal, non-disordered levels is just not true, right? There's no evidence that the that the suicide attempt rate in the transgender community post-surgery, or if everybody calls you by your preferred pronoun, goes down to the normal rate of a normal man or a normal woman who does not believe they're a member of the opposite sex. Doesn't matter, the court is probably gonna try and take away this kid and give the kid to the grandparents who apparently are gonna go along with the treatment. And they're saying that, the, the uh, apparently, Uh, The the attorney for the family says the parents maintain they love their child and said the child's mother said the child has nothing to fear from her and she wants to have a relationship with her child. She also acknowledged that if the parents are granted custody, they want the child to continue to live with the maternal grandparent, not in an effort to avoid parenting their child, but because they believe that the current living arrangements is in the teen's best interest. But they say this kid is not capable of making a life altering decision right now. The court is going to disagree and they're going to say that if they call the kid by the kid's normal name, if they say that the, the she is a she, then the kid is going to commit suicide. That means that it's on the parents. This is a very dangerous precedent that's being set. It's the reason why we're in the middle of a brutal culture war. And it is there are political aspects to this that uh, that, that are really a problem, that are a serious problem. Okay, in just a second, I'm going to give you the update on the Rob Porter fallout because it looks like it's getting worse, not better for the White House. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Tracker. Okay, so you lost your phone. You lost your wallet. You lost your keys because the day ending in Y, and we all lose those things every day. But no longer do you have to worry about this. This is what tracker is for. So I lose my keys, and now when I lose my keys, I grab my phone and I can just use the tracker app and I can find my keys. If I if I lose my phone, I have the tracker Bluetooth on my keychain, and I just hit it, and my phone starts beeping. It doesn't matter if the ringer's off. It doesn't matter uh, if I've turned the volume all the way down. It will still beep through. It will still beep all the way through, and that means that you can find your phone if it's buried under a couch cushion or in my child's car seat, as the case may be. And this ritual of looking for your keys, your wallet, your phone, it no longer has to be a thing because of Tracker pixels. So you'll never have to worry about losing things again. It's the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. You put the Tracker on whatever you tend to lose, keys, wallet, purse. It is small enough to fit anywhere. When you misplace an item that has a Tracker Pixel attached... You can use your smartphone and a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds. It even has powerful LED lights so you can find anything even in the dark. You can locate your item if it's miles away because every tracker user is part of the largest crowd locate network in the world as well. Save 20% off your order when you go to thetrackr.com slash Ben. That's thetrackercom slash Ben. You get 20% off. Again, thetrackercom slash Ben. When you use that slash Ben, you get 20% off the tracker plus you're letting them know that we sent you as well. So thetrackrcom slash Ben. All right, so I want to talk about the fallout from the Rob Porter situation, but for that, you're going to have to go over to the website and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to dailywire.com. Gets the rest of the show live, gets the rest of the Andrew Clavin show live, gets the rest of the awful, terrible, no good, very bad Michael Knowles show live. Uh, By the way, later today, Michael Knowles will be doing a Valentine's Day episode with all of your special letters in the mailbag. Um, So if you feel like ruining your Valentine's Day that way, then go for it. Today, February 14th, 5 p.m. Eastern. Michael will be literally be waiting for your questions. in our next episode of The Conversation His Pathetic Pleas for Attention. We'll be on Facebook, YouTube, The Daily Wire website, free, free to watch. Only subscribers can join the website and ask the questions. To ask questions as a subscriber, log into our website over at dailywire.com, head over to The Conversation page and watch the live stream. And after that, start typing into The Daily Wire chat box. Michael will answer live questions as they come in for an entire hour. So subscribe and get those questions answered by Michael today, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, and join the conversation. Uh, If you want all of those things, plus this, the fantastic, never before, never before um, compared. I don't know. I lost words. Uh, If you want a great mug, the leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. This is the thing. Okay, You get it with the annual subscription, 99 bucks a year, cheaper than the monthly, so go and check that out right now, uh, or check us out later, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, subscribe, leave us a review. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. So, in some bad news for the White House, uh, Trey Gowdy, the House Oversight Committee Chair, uh, or at least a member of the House Oversight Committee, he said that the House Oversight Committee kicked off an investigation into the Trump administration's employment of Rob Porter, the White House staff secretary who resigned last week, and what White House officials knew about domestic abuse allegations against him. So Gowdy said, you can call it official, you can call it unofficial. I'm going to direct questions to the FBI that I expect them to answer. And if they don't answer them, then, I go, then I'm going to expect a really good reason why. Senior White House officials have been struggling to come up with an answer for exactly how they allowed Rob Porter to get so high up in the administration, despite all of the allegations about spousal abuse. He has two separate ex wives who alleged spousal abuse. Paul Ryan said, the White House has to work to improve their vetting system. I don't know how exactly they'll do that. I will leave that to them. But Chairman Gowdy is doing his proper job on oversight. And yes, he did give us a heads up. One of the big problems yesterday is that the FBI director, Chris Wray, came out and he said that the timeline that was presented by the White House with regard to Rob Porter was just not true. That basically, the White House had known for months, maybe years, about Rob Porter's allegations. They did nothing about it. I get into the content of what was uh,
1: briefed. But what to the what? What I can tell you is that the fbi
0: submitted uh, a partial report on the investigation in question uh in march uh and then a completed background investigation in late july that is soon thereafter we received requests for follow-up uh inquiry uh and we did the follow-up, uh, and provided that information in November, uh, and that we administratively closed the file in January. And then
1: earlier this month, we received some additional information, and we passed that on as well.
0: So it is pretty obvious that the FBI was continuously updating the, the White House, and the White House did nothing about it. This is all on John Kelly. There have been serious rumors inside and outside the White House that John Kelly is on his way out, that the general who was supposed to have brought order to the White House has instead exacerbated the disorder, particularly with regard to this Rob Porter fallout. There was talk yesterday that Gary Cohn, uh, as Breitbart would call him, the globalist Gary Cohn, would take over as Trump's chief of staff if that were the case. There was even some rumors going around that he might bring back the mooch, which would be the greatest thing on planet Earth. Please bring back the mooch. We need a season two. I mean, come on, cameo. He's the most beloved guest star in season two of Trump. We're now in season three of Trump. Bring back the mooch. Come on. So if the mooch comes back, then things will become wildly more entertaining. Um, and uh, you can expect that uh, that we will get just... I mean, I, I want I want entertainment bang for my buck. If we're going to go through all of this, at least better be entertaining. The White House uh, tried to suggest that the FBI director was not contradicting them on their story. This, of course, is not really true. Here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders trying to make that case yesterday.
1: Look, um, we explained the process extensively last week. The White House Personnel Security Office, staffed by career officials, received information last year and what they considered to be the final background investigation report in November, but they had not made a final recommendation for adjudication to the White House
0: because the process was still ongoing when Rob Porter resigned. In the view of Personnel Security Office, the FBI's July report required significant additional investigatory
1: fieldwork before Personnel Security Office could begin to evaluate the information for adjudication. As Director Ray said, information was still coming to the White House Personnel Security Office in February.
0: Now, the truth is that the chief of staff's job is essentially to keep the president in line. And unfortunately, it's become a sort of babysitting job to a certain extent, making sure that Trump is not talked to by some of the worst people, keeping bad influences away from the Oval Office. And Kelly had been doing a good job of that until the whole Rob Porter scandal happened. You do have to ask yourself why it was that Kelly stuck by him. Maybe it's because we all as human beings have an individual tendency to pretend that folks that we know aren't really bad people. Like think of the people in your life and think of some of the things that they've done. Are all of them universally good people? I know some people in my life who if I, if I heard about their stories uh, and I heard about them secondhand, I think, wow, that guy's a jerk. And that guy That guy seems like a bad guy. But you make provisions for people that you know in your personal life. The problem is when you're working on a governmental level, you don't have the ability to do that. You don't have the capacity for forgiveness, particularly in a case like this where you really shouldn't have a capacity for forgiveness in any case when the guy isn't asking for forgiveness where where it's apparent that he was fibbing about knocking around women. That's pretty bad. So here's how it's breaking down at the White House according to Vanity Fair. Apparently... In recent days, Trump has floated a couple of names. White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney and longtime friend Tom Barrick, a real estate developer for White House Chief of Staff. That's just what we need, is somebody with no experience in government coming in and trying to run the White House. Mulvaney would at least would, would know what he's doing. I'm not sure the Barrick would. Barrick has already said that he's not particularly interested. There are apparently other factions that are looking to, to bring in a new Chief of Staff. Apparently, um, Jared Navanka Trump wants to bring in Gary Cohn. Uh, so last night, three Republicans said that Trump had offered the job to Cohn. But then Trump told Sean Hannity that he'd not chosen Cohn, uh, and that's because Cohn is not a career Republican, right? Cohn is actually kind of a Democrat. Apparently, Sean Hannity was pushing somebody else. Hannity was pushing maybe House Leader Kevin McCarthy, um, perhaps, uh, perhaps Wayne Berman, uh, who I, I've never even heard of, Wayne Berman. Uh, I believe that um, he is a senior advisor to Blackstone. Uh, so the idea is that he has ties to, to Capitol Hill. Uh, so there was, there was talk about him being close with Mitch McConnell, uh, there are a bunch of people who are close to Bannon who have been trying to push for Mark Meadows as chief of staff. Uh, you know, Meadows as chief of staff certainly would make the, the administration more conservative. Uh, I'm not sure that it would do, uh, I'm not sure that it would balance a lot of the competing interests inside the White House. McCarthy apparently is sort of interested, and today he refused to suggest that he would not take the job if he were offered it. A Republican uh, has, has said that McCarthy is going around saying that the president needs better messaging, which is obviously true. Uh, so a little bit of chaos inside the White House. Uh, apparently, the president um, made sure last week that Kelly had heard that that he called Reince Priebus for advice, uh, which was a way to alienate Kelly and maybe get Kelly to quit. So uh, all of this is a mess. Uh, the mess comes from the top. This, in, in this case, the mess comes from Kelly. But the fact that Trump governs by chaos is not a is not a a good thing, right? Kelly really should do this. He should just come out. He should apologize. He should have come clean from the beginning. He should have said we made a mistake. I gave. Uh, the benefit of the doubt to somebody who'd been vouched for by a lot of top figures, that was a mistake. We should never have done it. Oops. Right? If you had done that, all of this would have blown over in a week. Now, instead, we are in week two, week three of all of this. Uh, that is not good stuff at all, right? The, the administration is going to have to do something to cure the perception that there's serious chaos breaking out inside the administration. And meanwhile, by the way... Uh, there are new estimates on Trump's military parade, which is just another distraction. Uh, apparently, Mick Mulvaney says it would cost between $10 million and $30 million. Now, I understand why I'm not into the idea of a military parade on civilian streets that's not celebrating you know, an actual military victory. The last military parade we had in the United States was after the Gulf War. Um, but I don't understand why the left is against anti-military parade. They seem to like North Korean military parades an awful lot, so I'm not sure why they're so opposed to an American military parade. Uh, so... This is uh, so so that apparently is still on the table. Now, does any of this actually affect Trump in the long run? The answer is no. As I suggested before, you know, the Democrats have been unable to capitalize on Trump's unpopularity. Again, he's hitting his high water point now, and that's that's forty-seven percent, which is not super high. And so In order for the Democrats to capitalize on his unpopularity, they're going to have to connect his supposed lack of passion for the American people with their passion for the American people. But that would force them to abandon their intersectionality. They actually have to say, listen, we like Americans more than Trump does. That's a hard call when you're sending the entire media out to talk about the glories of North Korea and the stupidity of Mike Pence. It's just not a brilliant move. Now, if the economy tanks, could Republicans really pay? Sure. Is it possible the polls are overstated? That's possible, too. Yesterday. There was another another Republican seat that flipped. I think it was in Florida. Another Republican Senate seat, state Senate seat. That's 36 legislative seats that Republicans have lost since Trump took office. That doesn't have the makings of a wave yet, but it certainly should be a disquieting note for a lot of members of the administration who seem to suggest that nothing terrible is going on and everything is going to be okay. We just don't know at this point, but uh, Democrats are struggling for a message. They're also, by the way, barring Bill Clinton. So According to Politico, Democrats are looking to embrace the Me Too moment and rally women to push back on Trump in the midterms. Good luck with that. They tried it with Hillary. And they don't want Bill Clinton anywhere near it. So they're scared of Bill Clinton now. So they're making the same mistake they always made. They're suggesting that Hillary Clinton was a better candidate than Bill Clinton. They cannot, they're just addicted to the victim politics. They are addicted to the identity politics. It is going to destroy the Democratic Party. It's really a giant failure on their part. Bill Clinton is still, still tremendously much more popular than Hillary Clinton ever was. Right? They're trying to take advantage of the Me Too movement by suggesting that the Trump administration is mean to women and John Kelly is mean to women and Trump is mean to women and all this. That's not how you get people out to the polls. You get people out to the polls by suggesting that the other side is not just morally bad but effectively bad. And Democrats haven't done that in any, in any real serious way. So this is none of this, none of this is good. By the way, the White House's story on, on Porter uh, continues to, to just fall apart. Late, late, late yesterday, there was a report that even after there were the news of the Rob Porter giving his ex-wife a black eye had come out, that he had sat down for an off-the-record meeting with four reporters brokered by the White House. And the reporters present for the meeting, which included the New York Times' Maggie Haberman, Washington Post' Josh Dousey, Axios' Jonathan Swan, and Wall Street Journal's Michael Bender, press Porter to explain the picture of his wife with the black eye. And he, told, and he told them what he had told his colleagues, that on vacation in Venice, the two had quarreled over a Venetian glass vase and that his then-wife had accidentally bruised her eye in the course of that altercation, which happens all the time. The vase just reaches out and touches somebody in the eye. Uh, so that's that's always a big win for them. Uh, the, the administration ought to get past this, but Democrats are not going to be able to take advantage if they keep doing the, the identity politics routine. Okay, time for some things I like, and then some things that I hate. So let's begin with, uh, with a thing that I like. I've been playing for my daughter. She loves classical music. She will only listen to classical music because I have molded her uh, and I've shaped her And now she is an elitist, which is exactly what I want her to be when it comes to her musical taste. Uh, One of the pieces that she really likes is The the Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra by Benjamin Britten. This piece is, the reason it's called The Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra is basically it goes through all of the instruments in the orchestra. And they each play individually throughout the course of the piece. And so she's gotten really good at naming all of the various pieces in the orchestra. She knows the difference between an oboe and a bassoon. Uh, which is pretty sophisticated for a just-turned four-year-old. In any case, here is Benjamin Britten's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. Builds to a tremendous conclusion. It's it's a really fun piece. So go check that out. It's a great way to educate your kids about the instruments in the orchestra, uh, which, uh, at least if my daughter is any indicator, they really enjoy. Okay, other things that I like. So Bill Murray, who is not one of my favorite actors, uh, said something I think that is exactly right, and it is a note for the Democrats. Okay, he was talking about identity politics, and here's what he had to say.
1: Make everyone laugh. She's not thinking about being political. She's thinking about what resonates and what is common to all of us. Yeah. I think that that's harder and harder to do because people are trying to come, you know, trying to win their point of view as opposed to, to saying, what if I spoke to everyone? And My friend who's a great comedy writer, Jim Downey, he's accused of being a right-wing writer, a comedy writer, if there is such a thing, sort of. And he says, no, no, I just think the way that the Democrats handle things is poor, The way they try to p- pick out little pieces of a population that, well, we're, we represent the Hispanics, we represent the... LGBT or something. And they're not speaking to everyone at once. And it's almost demeaning to say, I'm choosing you because you're a, a splinter group or you're a certain minority group. That there's almost a resentment that somehow you're separated again by a politician. You know, that you're my people. You're, I'm in control of you and I represent you. Instead of thinking that each, each citizen has a right to be respected as a citizen first, someone under the laws of the country.
0: Okay, hey, this is exactly right. Bill Murray is not a rabid right-winger. Bill Murray is not a Republican. Bill Murray is a Democrat. Right? The idea that Bill Murray uh, is, is suggesting to Democrats that they ought to abandon identity politics that they don't wish to alienate the vast majority of the country is of course exactly right. Now, will Democrats listen to him? Of course not, because they're incompetent. Speaking of which, time for some things I hate. Alrighty, so, things I hate today. Greg Popovich has become so obnoxious. This is the coach of the San Antonio Spurs, and suddenly uh, the great arbiter of of American morality. Uh, Here is what he had to say yesterday about America and how racist America is, which is incredible, considering that all of the players who play for him who are black are making millions and millions and millions of dollars for playing a game. Uh, Here's Greg Popovich nonetheless talking about what a terrible place America is.
1: Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, The league is uh, made up of... uh, a lot of black guys, you know, so to honor that and understand it is pretty simplistic. Uh, how would you ignore that? But more importantly, you know, we live in a racist country that hasn't figured it out yet. And it's always important to bring attention to it. Uh, even if it angers some people, you know, the point is that you have to keep it in front of everybody's nose. They understand it still hadn't been taken care of and we have a lot of work to do.
0: So if this is something that Greg Popovich actually believes, then he's, he doesn't understand the nature of America. He doesn't understand the nature of Americans who are shelling out millions of dollars a year to go watch a bunch of black guys play basketball. In Popovich's words, that's not because they're a bunch of racists. Okay? The reason that you know that is because for a long time, the NBA was not integrated. Okay? For many years, when racism was much more prevalent in the country, it was a rarity for there to actually to be black basketball players. Adolf Rupp, the famous college basketball coach at the University of Kentucky, would not allow black players on his team. Right, that obviously is not the case, and the NBA is a growing concern. If you were to buy a, a team in any sport right now, your best investment would probably be in the NBA because Americans are not afraid of black folks. Americans are very much ensconced in in black culture, in, in parts of culture uh, that, that are influenced by, by powerful black people. I think that's a good thing because I think the black folks contribute an enormous amount to the culture, and I think white folks contribute an enormous amount to the culture. Um, but the fact that Popovich suggested America is a deeply racist place immediately after saying that the entire NBA is black and these folks are making millions of dollars, uh, there's a pretty strong disconnect there. Okay, so quick Bible note since it is indeed a Wednesday. We haven't done Bible study in a little while. So uh, I wanted to point this out with regard to uh, preemptive war. So if you're talking about war in the Middle East and the possibility of preemptive war in the Middle East, Israel striking Iran, for example, or the United States taking out Russian mercenaries, uh, there, there's this idea that, that a lot of religious people are sort of uncomfortable with preemptive war. Uh, that is, that, that's somewhat silly. In Exodus 22.1, it specifically talks about the fact that preemptive war uh, is, is necessary and preemptive killing can sometimes be necessary if you can discern the person's rationale for attacking you. So here's what it says. It says, if while breaking in, a thief is discovered and he is struck and dies, it is as if he has no blood. Right? Meaning that the, his, the responsibility for his own death is on his head. And so Rashi, who's the most famous of Jewish commentators, he comments on this. And he says, this signifies it is not considered murder. It is though the thief was considered dead from the start. Here, the Torah teaches you the lesson. If someone comes to kill him, to kill you, you kill him first. And this thief has come to kill you because he knows that no one can hold himself back and remain silent when he sees people taking his money. Therefore, the thief has come with the acknowledgement that if the owner of the property were to stand up against him, the the, the owner would kill the thief. Meaning if someone breaks into your house at night with a clear intent to steal stuff from you and harm you then you have the ability to kill them. The, the Torah actually makes a distinction in Exodus between if you are robbed during the day and, and robbed during the night. But uh, the, next, the, the very next verse says, if the sun shone upon him, then he has blood, he shall surely pay. If he has no money, he shall be sold for his theft. So in other words, you can't kill him, you have to capture him if he comes during the day. Why? Because Rashi says, There's, this is nothing but a metaphor, meaning if the matter is clear to you that the thief is peaceably disposed toward you, similar to the sun, which represents peace in the world, so it is obvious that he has not come to kill you. So in other words, if it's obvious that someone is coming to kill you, you should kill them first. If it's not, then you should try to find a better way. Obviously, this is true. So uh, th- for all the people who think that the Bible is a pacifist document, the answer is no. All right. We'll be back here tomorrow with m- all of the updates. Uh, we'll see you then. Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro Show. Ben Shapiro Show.